If you would turn in your Bibles to Psalm 118, we will take uh, a few of the verses in this psalm, in particular focusing on probably the most familiar and popular verse in that psalm. It's one of my favorite in the whole Bible, and that's verse 24. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. It's a great uh, verse. It's, I start a lot of my days with this because it's on a, um, a framed uh, plaque in my kitchen. So I see it every morning, and I, and I love to start my day uh, just looking at that and reading that. But there's a lot of um, information in this psalm that gives us some support as to what is the meaning behind that verse 24. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Because most of us, or at least I did earlier, would always think that if it was a nice, sunny, pleasant day, you kind of rejoiced and were glad over a brand new day. Uh, you woke up and it was time to go out and live and have a great day. Well, there's a lot more to it than that. Obviously, the Bible is very deep. There's a lot of spiritual meaning to um, everything in the Bible. And in order to, for us to get an understanding of what that verse, the ultimate essence of that verse, um, is to understand some more of the, uh, the information preceding it. So let me read the first three verses of Psalm 118. And we'll see one word keeps popping up over and over. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endures forever. There's a few words in there that are repeated, but the one I'm going to focus on is mercy. That word is repeated three different times in those three verses. And, you know, that's really the theme of the psalm. The psalm is really starting off with the theme of mercy, which to remind us what the word mercy means, it basically means that um, I should be punished, but I'm not. I committed a crime. I should pay for it, but somehow I get let off the hook. And that's really the essence of the word mercy. And so the fact that God's mercy endures forever is teaching us here that it has no end. Um, you're, you are let off the, the consequences of sin. And it is forever that you will enjoy um, that, that mercy, so to speak. Well, that being the theme of the psalm and the, really the beginning of it, let's now jump to verse 20, which is a lot closer to verse 24, and try to build up to verse 24 so we understand it a little bit better. So let's go to verse 20 of Psalm 118. In that verse we read, This gate of the Lord, into which the righteous shall enter. I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. Well, what is this gate? Well, it was referred to actually in a previous verse, in verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them, and I will praise the Lord. And then it says again, we just read it, This gate of the Lord, into which the righteous shall enter. So... This gate is talking about uh, well, something spiritual because it, it's not a gate that uh, really would be uh, literal or physical because it's a gate of righteousness. So there's a metaphor being weaved in here already. This gate of righteousness in verse 19, the psalmist says, open to me that gate. I want to go into it. And that's a, that's a, that's a desire of anybody who's interested in, in God's truth in the Bible is to go into this, this place of righteousness. I will go into them and I will praise the Lord, this gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. So it's only a gate which the righteous shall enter. And someone said it earlier up here that what is this gate metaphorically speaking about? 
And I just passed a farm on the ride over here this morning, and I saw this beautiful gate in front of um, where a bunch of sheep were behind on the side of the road. And, uh, you know, it reminded me of this. And uh, it reminds us, of course, of Jesus Christ, who used a different word in the New Testament. Obviously, a Greek word is different than a Hebrew word, but it's the same meaning. Anybody want to tell me what that word is in John chapter 10? It's a door. Let's go to John 10 and just look at that real quick. In John chapter 10, we read there in verse 7, Jesus is talking about the, uh, the sheep gate and uh, the sheep fold. And in John 10 verse 7, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. So there we have it. Do you see the link of being saved is equivalent to what word in the uh, Psalm 118 of the gate? What was it a gate of? It began with an R. Righteousness, a gate of righteousness. And Jesus says here that I am the door. If any man abide me, if any man enter and he shall be saved. So we know that salvation is equivalent to righteousness. If you are righteous, means that there's no sin on your account. Then you are saved. Saved from what? Saved from annihilation. Saved from death. And that's, you know, righteousness here. The psalmist is, is clamoring for this gate of righteousness to be opened to him. And Jesus said, but I'm the door. So Christ has to be the one to open that door of righteousness. And he's the one who opens the door to the uh, sheepfold. He's the way in to, uh, to be saved. And we know that. And that's pretty simple. It's pretty obvious. But it's nice to build on this as we get closer to the verse we're trying to focus on today. Because then in verse 20, again, the gate of the Lord, the righteous shall enter. And verse 21 says, I will praise you for you have heard me. And art become my salvation. So what happened there? The psalmist is praising God because God heard him and became his salvation. He had asked for entrance into this um, way, this gate in w- into which and through which he would enter into a righteous land. And he's praising God because God heard him and became his salvation. And that salvation is eternal life. Eternal life. It's that green pasture. Um, that never goes dry, that never browns or burns out. It's that pasture where there's constant feeding and eternal life with God himself forever. So that's a beautiful verse there to, to lock in that uh, the, the, the actual attainment of this beautiful state of righteousness. Well, then let's go to verse 22 in Psalm 118. The stone which the builders refused is become the head of the corner. So... What stone is this? If the gate was the door, which was Jesus Christ, the stone obviously is Jesus Christ. And we know that from Matthew 21. So let's go there and just prove it, that this stone that the builders refused that became the head of the corner, which is the essence of um, the building of a structure is the cornerstone that's laid. It's the most important stone that is laid in the foundation. In Matthew 21, verse 42, we read there, Jesus said unto them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders refused or rejected is the same as become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Where is that in the Old Testament? Well, we just read it in Psalm 118. So that's what Jesus is telling them. He's challenging 
the, um, the, the religious leaders that were uh, in front of him at that moment that, did you never read this in Psalm 118? And then he says in verse 43, Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Now what does that mean? He's, Jesus is saying that he's the stone. He is the stone that was refused or rejected by the builders, the builders being the religious leaders. He, he was refused, though. He was cast out. You know, when there's a stone that doesn't fit into the structure, what, do the, what does a uh, mason do? Just tosses it into a, uh, a heap where, you know, it just becomes uh, garbage and tossed out. But here, Jesus is saying, whoever falls on this stone will be broken. And what did the psalmist say in another psalm? A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So that's what that means. But then he said, but on whomsoever it, or in other words, this stone shall fall. If I fall on you, I'm going to grind you to powder. Meaning that if you don't become broken before God, you will be ground to powder and annihilated ultimately. So here we have it. And in Acts chapter 4, you know, the apostles, after Christ had risen from the dead, um, they again quoted this same verse in Acts 4, verse 10. <clears throat> Peter said, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So once again, this stone is being unequivocally called and said to be related to an analogy for Jesus Christ. And again, verse 12 says, neither is there salvation in any other. So this stone is it tantamount to being salvation. And that's what the whole essence of Psalm 118 was. Remember, mercy. Mercy was being driven home in the first couple of verses in Psalm 118. This gate of righteousness, entering into this righteous land in Psalm 118, that was equivalent to being saved that we saw earlier. Because Jesus said, I'm the door of the sheep. If any man enter in uh, by me, he will be saved. And, and then we say here once again, the stone in Acts 4 that the builders refused is then being likened to the fact that because of that stone being made the head of the corner, there's now salvation through him. So the same theme is being woven in different ways that this is Jesus Christ. Because how was this, uh, this stone was taken out of this, um, you know, it was refused, likened to that construction analogy when it was tossed aside. But how did it become the head of the corner? Somebody had to go take it, right, and put place it there at the head of the corner. And that's, that's what happened. They, that's what they're being challenged here by Peter, that you... Like a builder tossing the, the, really the cheap cornerstone out into the heap of broken stone is this tantamount to you crucifying Jesus Christ. And him being taken out of that garbage heap, so to speak, and placed in the corner upon which the rest of the building was erected is equivalent to him being raised from the dead. Right? So there we see that. And that's important to understand that point because that's what's going to lead us into the verse 24. Psalm 118, this is the day that the Lord has made. 
we will rejoice and be glad in it. So what is this day? It's not just talking about this sunny, bright, pleasant day ahead that I'm off from work and I can have a wonderful day. That's not really the essence of that verse, obviously. It's speaking about something different. And I claim that there's two days in view here. And one for sure is the resurrection Sunday of Jesus Christ. And that's because of Acts 13. Acts 13, aside from what Peter said in Acts 10, or Acts 4, verse 10 through 12, Acts 13, I think, also uh, gives us a clue. Now, when Paul and his company... Acts 13, 33, forgive me, I was reading verse 13. Acts chapter 13, verse 33. God has fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second Psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So what does it mean to be begotten of God? We see here the definition is to be raised from the dead. To be raised from the dead. That was said earlier in verse 33, and that he raised up Jesus again. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So I think there's a huge focus on the day. And when Psalm 118, the psalmist said, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. What had just been spoken? The stone which the builders refused has become the head of the corner. What did Peter say? That stone that was refused was likened to you crucifying him. And now all of a sudden it's, because, it's laid at the corner of the, the, uh, the foundation, which means that he was raised from the dead. He was crucified and dead, but he was raised by God. So now we see here that this day that I've begotten you is equivalent to him being raised from the dead. And I think that's in view in Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, how does that relate Look at Galatians 2, verse 20, because on that day, as the Bible says, through faith, through his faith, that we somehow are related to it and triumph with him on that day. If we are a believer, if we've been saved, Galatians 2, 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. So now I'm related to that same tossing out of the uh, stone being refused by the builders. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So look at that. I'm crucified with him, yet I live. So it's likened to this fact that on this day, it was changed. Something was changed. And, you know, even though day and night have always continued, what's the spiritual thought there? That that day would never end. That there would never be darkness again. Um, night and darkness, though we still have it physically in uh, the earthly realm and the, uh, the astronomical uh, reality of uh, where we live and the solar system that God has created. Yet, the Bible tells us that there's forever this daylight now because of his resurrection from the dead. Let's go to Isaiah 60 and see why the psalmist was rejoicing over this day that the Lord has made. That's why he rejoiced and was glad. And there's so many beautiful um, relationships to what that day meant. In Isaiah 60, verse 19, we read, The sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto you, But the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. 
Thy sun shall no more go down, neither shall thy moon withdraw itself. For the Lord shall be thine everlasting light, and the days of thy mourning shall be ended. That's the eternal inheritance, is it not? The new heaven and the new earth. That's, that's when that's going to become the ultimate reality. That's what that, that language is tied in so many other places in the New Testament, too. When the sun shall no more go down, neither the moon shall withdraw itself. What's happening? We're getting close to that day when the eternal inheritance of the new heaven and the new earth is ushered in. And that's the other day, I think, is in view. In Psalm 118, 24, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. It was the day that God had begotten the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, Resurrection Sunday. We call it Easter Sunday. And I think it's also talking about the day when the new heaven and the new earth are ushered in. Why do I say that? That's why we rejoice and are glad. That's why the psalmist rejoiced and was glad, because the end has come. The time for the wedding ceremony between the bride and the groom is finally here. And that's where these words, the phrase rejoice and be glad, that's not found too many times in the Bible together like that. But the other places where it's found, remember Psalm 118, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And other places in the Bible that say rejoice and be glad, the same exact phrase, all relates to the new heaven and the new earth. Let's go look at that. Um, Isaiah 65, verse 17. Isaiah 65, 17. Look at the um, preamble here. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. Is that not speaking about the eternal inheritance after this world on October 21st, 2011 is burned up in, in flames? And then Christ creates the new heaven and the new earth. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Look at the very next verse. But be ye glad and rejoice. It's the same phrase as Psalm 118:24. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing in her people of joy. Remember, he creates a new heaven and a new earth in verse 17. He says, rejoice and be glad over this. Well, it's also repeated in Revelation 19. The same phrase, rejoice and be glad. Let's go to Revelation 19, verses 1 and 2. Kind of get this setting, and then we'll jump to the verse where it is. Revelation 19, 1. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore. You can picture the time we're in here, the setting. The church is being judged. The end has come, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Now jump in the same chapter to verse 7. Here's our phrase. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. Why? For the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he said unto me, Right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. So when's this consummation of the marriage? When this new heaven and new earth is created after that final destruction of this world, which we now know is October 21. 
2011. So we're rejoicing. If you're a believer, you're rejoicing and you are glad over that day that's going to come. When you're finally, what is, what do people say on this earth is the most uh, special day of their life, typically? Their wedding day, don't they? Don't most people say that if they're married? My wedding day was the most exciting day of my life. Now, sometimes ladies will say that the day I gave birth to my first child or all of my children, however many I have, that's a day I'll never forget to. But typically, for men and women, the most universally given answer to what is the most special day in your life is your marriage, the wedding day, the wedding night. And, and traditionally, which has always been the biblical way, that's when a wedding was consummated. Now, today, that's, that's lost its special meaning because most people today are... Um, um, engaging in relations well before marriage so that it takes away from the specialness of that day but listen to that young people young people it takes away from the marriage day when you have relations with uh, your uh, your partner and it's against the bible and the consequences are such that you lose that specialness of that uh, wedding night but christ here is is stating that rejoice be glad this the marriage of the lamb is come and her wife has made herself ready. How did the wife make herself ready? Remember the psalmist in Psalm 118 said, open to me the gates of righteousness and I'll enter in. I want to go in. And the righteousness here in verse 8 was what? The righteousness of the saints was pictured by the clean, white, fine linen that they were wearing. Pictured by that. So you see, it's all coming together here. Rejoicing and being glad. And uh, it's all because of salvation, having the eternal inheritance of a new heaven and a new earth. Psalm 118, 24 said, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So not only was there a day that's pointed to in the past when there was resurrection of Christ, which sealed that uh, eternal inheritance, but also the day that will come when the consummation of the marriage finally happens. But there's one more verse that follows that that I want to lock it in and end this study with. In verse 25 of Psalm 118 says, Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Well, we're back to the word save. You know, righteousness, salvation. Jesus said that in John 10 about being the door of the sheep. Neither is there salvation in any other. We read that in Acts so here we see, save now, I beseech thee. It's tied into the whole meaning of why we rejoice and are glad. Why do you rejoice and are glad? Because you've been saved. Saved from what? Saved from annihilation. And instead, you're given the eternal inheritance of the new heaven and the new earth, the marriage with Jesus Christ, that great, that great groom. Um, Psalm 31, verse 7. Let me just read that to you because that ties into what we just read here. Save now, I beseech thee. Psalm 31, 7 says, I will be glad and rejoice. There's our phrase again. In what? In thy mercy. For thou hast considered my trouble. And that is the theme of Psalm 118. Remember the first four verses of that psalm, actually, all have the word mercy in them in Psalm 118. For his mercy endures forever. For his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endures forever. That's Psalm 18's beginning. And we're rejoicing and being glad because his mercy has been extended to you. And that's what it means. That you're going to be part of that great marriage supper of the Lamb. And one more, Psalm 32, 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. There it is again. Rejoice and be glad. Why? 
ye righteous, and shout for joy, either upright in heart. Again, they're all tied into this. The words we've been seeing over and over again in this study. Righteousness, salvation. Remember, the gates of righteousness. Jesus said, I'm the door of the sheep. If any man enter in by me, he shall be saved. And we see the word mercy. So the word mercy, righteousness, and salvation keep popping up over and over and over again in Psalm 118 and in the meanings behind the stone being rejected by the builders and in the meaning of the word rejoicing and being glad as we as we tie that word and phrase around the whole Bible, Old and New Testament, we keep seeing the word salvation, mercy, and righteousness popping up over and over again. And at all points, this rejoicing and being glad has its ultimate pinnacle in the last day when the new heaven and the new earth are created. And that great wedding night comes. It's an unbelievable anticipation for the believer. And I hope you're rejoicing today and being glad over that. Because it is a wonderful thought. It's coming soon. And it's something that's going to be greater than anything you've ever experienced in your life. Even your own wedding. In your own wedding night. When you consummated your marriage with your spouse. A million times more ecstatic and exciting than that. And it's a good way to close any study when you can find one verse in the Bible that sums it all up. And I think in this study we have that one verse that exists that kind of really ties this together and gives us a nice thing to go home with or leave with. And that's Isaiah 25, 9. So let me read that in closing. Isaiah 25 and verse 9. And this will succinctly put what I've been trying to say today. And it shall be said in that day. There's the day we're anticipating, the new heaven and the new earth. It shall be said in that day, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Couldn't put it any better. May God give you a rejoicing and glad heart today if you're truly saved. You have wonderful things to look forward to. Amen. Okay. Um, before we dismiss for uh, a snack and a break, does anybody have anything you want to add, subtract, or discuss, or ask me about? Lester, do you want to take the mic? So people Um, I really um, enjoy that, you know, what you meant to say. It makes a lot of sense to me. But it's hard to share it with the world because the world don't, the world's talking about a thousand year reign of Christ and, and, um, and, um, and, and, and trying to uh, think that it's going to be a thousand years on this earth and they try to bring that up. But this is better than a thousand year reign of Christ cause, because, 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 because it's, going, it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Right. That's what the Psalm 118 said in the first four verses, actually. His mercy endures forever. And that's an eternity that surpasses a thousand years in our own uh, understanding of time. And it's, it's amazing. It's something that we can't fathom in the dimension of time that we live in. Is that not right? Yeah. Uh, that other dimension is just unfathomable. So it's just something to look forward to. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Anybody else? Howard? There are two areas that I, I, I would like you to 
expound on if you could. Uh, one is, one meaning of that verse 23 would be the worldly meaning, which is kind of get up and be cheerful as the day is, as you started out in your teaching. You mentioned something along that line. Now, the other thing is that what about those of us who are not certain that we are saved? Doesn't that speak to us there in that Christ is our hope? Mm. And so we can hope for that enjoy knowing that we have a righteous, just God and that there's a promise that there's going to be many, many that are going to be saved in these last days. I think that's a good point, Howard. I think that's what maybe Isaiah 25.9 we ended with kind of gave us an allusion to that the word waited is repeated twice in that verse. We've waited for him, but also in that verse is we, um, we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. I think that's a good point to bring up that if I don't know that I'm saved or if I'm saved, nothing keeping me from rejoicing and being glad knowing that God's in charge of it anyway. And I'm hoping for it and I'm waiting for it and anticipating it. And I think that's a good disposition to have. I, I would if I was not absolutely certain um, about salvation, but I knew this book. Anybody else want to add anything? Okay, let's uh, break until 1130. Uh, refreshments are in the back and uh, enjoy. Enjoy.